0: The Fields Auto Group proudly presents
1: Huddle Up Uh with Bucky Brooks. Uh JP
2: Shagger, John Osier, and NFL network analyst and former Jaguar Bucky Brooks bring you the latest on your Jacksonville Jaguars.
0: Everything's got to be about the future, it's got to be about tomorrow and bringing all that into focus as we, you know, attack the season.
2: Huddle Up with
0: Bucky Brooks starts right now. Welcome into another edition of the Huddle Up Podcast. Today's Wednesday, April 20th. JP Shadrick with NFL Network analyst Bucky Brooks, Jaguars.com senior writer John Osier. Subscribe to the official Jaguars Podcast Network and give us a listen on the podcast page. Imagine that, Jaguars.com, or go on to iHeartRadio, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast and uh, give us a download, a comment, and a five star rating. Happy Wednesday, Bucky, um, but I've got to start today with John Osier. He walked in hot a moment ago trying to make it to the stadium in time for this podcast. John, what
2: happened? Well, it was a jumbo shrimp game, JP. You, and I know you're familiar with minor league baseball in this town a little bit. Yes,
0: Wednesday business person special.
2: I live yes. over in Springfield, so I've got to try to make a left through the jumbo shrimp traffic. That's not there. And then all of a sudden, I come to find out they've built... A new traffic pattern on Bay Street. Correct. That was like a month ago. I'm trying to turn. Well, I haven't turned left on that. I've turned right a lot. I didn't know you couldn't turn left. And then I get behind this guy who, you know, he's looking at the jumbo shrimp game, and it appears he's never seen traffic before. So I was a little late coming in. (laughs) And uh, And then
0: they closed that entrance because of the football performance center. You can't sneak through there. It's that side anymore.
2: There's only one real option to get in. On on a shrimp game. If you're coming from Springfield, there's only one option to get to the uh, Jaguars game. That said, is it me or does it feel like we're dragging to get to? I mean, it it feels like the draft at this point to me is taking forever to get here. Maybe that's because I've been knee deep in it for two weeks.
0: Well, yeah, Bucky's the same way. I'm sure right? yeah. you're in it every day. Bucky. Yeah. Or is it coming
2: up fast or slow or how you feeling about it? I don't
3: know. It? I don't know. It's just coming up. You know what I'm saying? I'd be glad when we kind of settle and see. I think this draft is different because star power or lack thereof at the top. And so because there hasn't been like the excitement, like last year there was excitement over Trevor, previous years there been excitement over number of quarterbacks or elite or premier pass rushers or playmakers and those things. This class is a very good class, but I don't know if it necessarily has a star power of other classes. And because of that, I feel like we've been talking about the same names over and over and over again, trying to catch a buzz, and that buzz hasn't necessarily caught on a spread like wildfire.
0: Kind of reminds me a little of 2013, right? I mean, it was, what, Johnson? Uh, there you
3: no. go. That was the Eric Fisher. Eric Fisher, Fisher. for number one Fisher well, right. and
0: then Luke Jokel, right? That, but there weren't, like, quarterbacks at the very top of that year.
2: I'm getting a ton of comparisons to that, too. But my sense, Bucky, see if you agree with this. And, and it's – Again, I didn't go back and look at, at Joe Cole's uh, YouTube videos in college. That's what scouting is these days, you know, uh, JP. It's YouTube videos. Check the film, air right. quotes, the, and it's not the YouTube. Film. Uh,
3: yeah, I mean, but, like if somebody wants to do the film for you, I, I'm more than happy to look at the clips. I look, If you can boil it down to nine minutes for me, that works for me.
2: Yeah, you're Googling <laughs> YouTube, too. Don't, um, but it, it uh, that year, there was a perception that it was a weak draft. Mm-hmm. This year... I haven't heard from scouts and people that it's a weak draft. It's just a lack of star power. Okay, And I think there's a difference. I don't think you're going to draft one mm-hmm. of these. Like, there was a worry that year, I remember, that you could draft a guy at the top and really not be getting a great, great player. This year, yeah. I don't get the impression. I get the, I get the impression people think these guys are pretty good. There's just no quarterback.
3: Yeah, and I, I think a couple of things. I think the quarterback sizzle is real because I think we've changed the way we view quarterbacks. Um, I think we, on our side, media side, we created the narrative that, A, push quarterbacks up. You got to draft them high if you're going to get them, yada, yada, yada. And I really think that the tipping point um, has been two things. One, when the money went over $40 million for quarterbacks, it changed the level of expectation from your starting quarterback and what you want. Because if you're going to pay that kind of money, you want to make sure that the performance equates to that the days of just giving the quarterback a sizable sum because he's a guy that takes the snap from the center. I think we're done with that. And I think the postseason also changed the way that we view quarterbacks. When you see Josh Allen and Pat Mahomes and Joe Burrow, um, you see the quarterback play that it was required to make it to the Super Bowl. And you saw so many young guys kind of playing to that standard. I think what you had was a lot of teams that, um, looking at their own quarterback situations and looking at this draft and measuring those quarterbacks up against the young stars in the game, the Herberts and all those guys. And if you're going to take a quarterback and that quarterback cannot compete in a shootout against those guys, what's the point of taking them? Because you're going to be right back at the drinking hole again, the watering hole again, having to go and figure out if you can get one. And so it just kind of raised the standard. And I say it's really been a market correction that you're no longer just going to accept mediocrity at the position when it's time to pay. You're going to look for a star because if you don't have a star, you don't have a chance.
2: I have a question for the scout, and it's a little off the top but this. Feels like a freewheeling day to me. So, Great, no, do it. Yeah, this and, is what we're doing. And this isn't really a quarterback question, but it, it's something that I, I'm sure you and DJ, uh, I call Daniel, I call Daniel Jeremiah DJ, because hey man, whatever you want to call close, because you're that close. Um, But I'm sure you guys have talked about it because I heard him talking about it somewhere else. This whole concept of uh, offensive line, that teams are looking at offensive line a little differently. You don't necessarily have to to follow that Cowboys model of uh, three or four number one draft picks. And the interesting concept that I think I heard him use was teams are now looking at you can build an offensive line with the idea that it's as good as its worst part. Meaning as long as you don't have a breakdown guy as your fifth guy, that you don't necessarily need elite guys with an offensive line. You're probably better served to speak about that than me. But talk me through that concept because it makes a little sense to me.
3: So the theory and the principle is no tomato cans. Like the one thing that you can have is you don't necessarily need all A-pluses around the board, but you can't have any Fs. You can't have any – like. Noticeable weak links where everyone in the stadium knows that this guy is the tomato can. He's, he's the guy getting your quarterback is, hit. You know, if he's a weak he's link, he's the one we'll that's going to get your, your your quarterback killed. But, um, and I think a lot of it sometimes depends on the level of quarterback that you have behind that offensive line. Let's look at the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl, the Cincinnati Bengals, who everyone in the NFL knows that they were struggling on the offensive line. They were a Super Bowl participant, and some could say reasonably, they should have won the Super Bowl. They were three minutes away from winning the Super Bowl with an offensive line that didn't have any notable players and had some weak links. The L.A. Rams also don't have any stars on their offensive line. For as as much as we made the Super Bowl about Andrew Whitworth and his farewell song and that, they didn't have any great players on that offensive line. But the quarterback play was terrific. But then when you cast your gaze out outside on the perimeter – There were a bunch of stars, a lot of star power for the Rams on the perimeter. Cooper Cup, OBJ, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, all those players. And so now what you're saying is if I have a good quarterback, an A-plus quarterback, I have really good skill, guys. If my offensive line is just okay where they can get in the way, that might be good enough to be able to get it done. And that's why in the pecking order of marquee positions, I think there's been a shift. It used to be where you had to have the quarterback, the elite left tackle, the pass rusher, and those things. Now I believe it's the four Ps, but in this order. It's passer, pass rushers, playmakers. And those playmakers are typically passing game playmakers, wide receivers. And then it's the pass protector. I don't even know if it's necessary to have an elite cornerback in today's game. But if you got those Ps accounted for, you have a chance to put yourself in position because look at the teams that are playing deep in the tournament. I don't know if all of those guys had those auxiliary positions um, at an A-level.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more, especially even sort of playing off your cornerback off your comment. To me, drafting a safety or a corner high anymore, if you've got an offense where the quarterback can get rid of the ball and the wide receivers have time to make plays, cornerbacks only matter for about 3.5 seconds or four seconds, and then these guys are getting open because the rules are so skewed mm-hmm. toward offense. I do agree. I think we're seeing a, I think we're seeing a huge shift, and getting back to the offensive line point, I wonder if that's not playing a little bit into the decision at the top. That yes, you know the offensive line here has been maligned for so long. I don't think it's a bad offensive line. I've said for years, the Colts' offensive lines that I covered were good. They weren't great. They were no tomato cans, but they didn't have Jeff Saturday was a Pro Bowler, but he was a, he was a Pro Bowler unsavvy and, and experienced. He was a center. But it wasn't an elite mm-hmm. offensive line because Peyton knew how to get rid of the ball and get them into plays. They could take advantage of what they could do. And I think, you know, now is Joe Burrow Peyton? No. But that, you know, if you have a quarterback who can get rid of the ball timely, not have the pass rush be as much of a factor, not take huge sacks when there's a breakdown, I think you can get by with that uh, no tomato can theory. It makes perfect sense to me. Uh it, and on that front, I, I just personally believe the Jaguars' offensive line is fine if, if there's functioning players around it.
3: Yeah, two things that you make, that uh, observations that I would say. The better the quarterback, the lesser the need for a high-level offensive line. You can get away with it. In a perfect world, you would like to provide him with the best protection. But the better the quarterback, particularly if he's a superstar quarterback, he can make everybody else right. Because and it's he gets the, the ball mental aspect of, of that,
2: right, Buck? He can yeah. see what's coming. I mean, Tom yeah. Brady
0: for years didn't, was the same yeah, way like, in New England.
3: It, yeah. Yeah, he can elevate the performance of those because he can handle everything. And as he um, understands the game and masters the game and understands how to kind of play the chess match, he can do that. I will say this, when you're having the cornerback situation, I would prefer an elite-level safety over a corner. Um, And this actually came from uh, your old guy, Bill Polian. We talked a few years ago, and he talked about the way the game is changing you need to have an elite safety in the middle of the field, not just for the passing game, but to deal with these athletic quarterbacks that are running around and making plays. If you can have a guy that you can drop in the box who can match tight ends and blitz and check the quarterback and do those things, I would say kind of like the Derwin James type, that is a difference maker because now you have an eraser that you can use. So, But he better be able to Jags, run, right, Buck? Yeah. I mean, like he's got to have Oh, speed. you got to be able to run. You got to be able able to run, and and I think that's the thing, too. In a perfect game going all the way back, you need one safety, and I would say four corners on the field, meaning that second safety needs to have corner-like footwork and athleticism, and then the other guy is a nickel corner. So you're really playing one safety, four corners, and you're able to lock down and be able to play.
2: Yes, I just think these great offenses these days, I guess you can have as good a safety play as you want. If the pass rush is not getting home and the quarterback has five seconds. They're going to
0: run loose on you.
2: They're, they're running all over the that field. That guy's not like going to be a factor no matter how good he that's is. That's right. So, uh, anyway.
0: Yeah. Do the Jaguars have that, Bucky, on defense, though? All, that, all those pieces that you're looking for?
3: No, they don't. And that's why at the top of the board it's really important. Um, we just talked about the pass rush. So, you need another complimentary pass rush to go with Josh Allen. Um, and maybe, like, having another guy will help Josh Allen play at a higher level. And then you also, and really, man, you need three. You need two on the outside, one on the inside. You need to be able to affect the quarterback up the middle because John talked about 3.5 seconds. Really, man, you look at Tom Brady and those guys, it's 2.5 or less the ball is coming out. And so the best way and the most effective way to kind of disrupt the quarterback is right up the gut, right in the middle, right between the A-gap, so he has to feel the pocket in his face, in his lap. So you have to have someone inside that can create a pass rushing presence, which is why – Arden Key, um, and those guys, critical because the inside pass rush, the way the Niners played him, he gave them an inside pass rusher. So now you have him, you have someone on the outside that can get after It, it gives you an opportunity now You know, home.
2: Yeah, it's funny, J.P., the, yeah. it, it, you know, the game has evolved. You know It's a completely different game, obviously, than it was in the 1950s. But Paul Brown used to say it was quarterback and pass rusher. So yeah, it's still – If you have something that can affect the quarterback quickly, that disrupts everything you can do. And and if you've got a guy who can control it offensively, the game on that front, no matter how much it changes around it, is still the same. It goes.
3: And I know JP's going to take us to a break or we're going to transition, but I got to get this in because he said this. Um, The reason why, John, is if you have a pass rush, now you don't have to blitz. And so now you can play zone and you can play coverage. You can get home with four. The best thing is if you can ever get home with four, you now can have seven in coverage and you don't have to worry about having a Jalen Ramsey tight on the perimeter. You can play zone, you can rally in front, you don't let the ball fly over the top of the head and you just rally and tackle and run to the ball. You have to have guys that can do it because no one really wants to blitz all the time. You would like to be able to say, hey, I got my my four is better than your front five and we're going to find a way to get home.
2: Yeah, all, all the great teams I've covered, which I would consider a couple of Colts teams, uh, they were defined by Peyton, but Freeney, Mathis, those guys could get home, and they affected in the great Colts mm-hmm. the Patriots games that yeah. I play, you know, uh, that I covered in the mid two thousands. When the Colts had the edge, it, it was because a the offense was great, obviously, but when they got a lead. Those guys could get home and affect the quarterback. I would consider the obviously the only great Jaguars you know covered since I've been back, 2017. And could it could affect the quarterback. Same thing. Four guys you, up front. Yeah, you know, it, 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 it's still really hard to win at the highest, highest, highest level without that.
0: We'll come back in a moment and hear from Press Taylor, Jaguars offensive coordinator, and Mike McCoy, the Jaguars quarterback's coach. The Jags are future-focused and ready for a new look in 2022. Join us at the bank this season as Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence lead the charge. Lock in your seats at jaguars.com slash tickets or call 904-633-2000. More after this. Welcome back to the Huddle Up Podcast. JP Shadrick, Bucky Brooks, John Osier, and the Jaguars will host the 2022 Do Ball Draft Party presented by Baptist Health. It's Thursday, April 28th, at six o'clock at Daly's Place. Live draft analysis, onstage appearances by Doug Peterson and select Jaguars players, and then stick around for the draft. We'll have our coverage on Jaguars.com on the big screen. Bucky Brooks will be there. Thank you. With bells on, yeah. it's going to be fantastic. Oh, I- Register at Jaguars.com slash official
2: draft party. Bucky's a little miffed. You mentioned Doug first. <laughs> no, no, no. I was I was
3: hoping I could get a ticket. I just want to see if I could get a ticket to the party. It sounds like a great deal. I wanna know. I
2: wanna hear
3: I wanna hear all the analysis. I wanna do that. I wanna have some hors d'oeuvres <laughs> and some of that stuff. What do we serve down there at draft parties? I, you know, I've never been to a draft party at like twenty plus years. What what, kind of what eats do you want? Do we
0: have yeah, it's whatever you like, uh-huh. Bucky. I think you well, know you just have to request it. You at least can get whatever you want.
3: I'm, I know it's Florida. What does that mean? I have to have gator or something like that. There's a different like room for VIPs. Or- when
0: was the last time you ate gator. alligator, John? It's been a little while. It's you just probably it been a
3: couple of decades. It's probably been. I'll be honest years. with you. Yeah, I've, I've never, I've never had it. and I don't think I can get past it's the, fri- the it, thought. It tastes like chicken.
0: It's oh, a little gamey, but it's fine. I can't, I
3: can't, I still just. Just like chicken.
0: It really just, it has the same yeah. texture. You don't like chicken either? Unbelievable. What do you oh, like? Yeah,
3: I don't know if I could do it. You know, i don't do it. You know, me and Fred. North Carolina the same, likes barbecue. That, that pescatarian. No, I'm on that pescatarian plan. Not much, you know.
0: Pescat, what does that mean? Pescatarian. All fish, all fish.
3: Fish. Yeah, i live. I live to 100. i trying to be around. Remember the jaguars we win titles and all
0: that other stuff you know <laughs> plenty of fish in the sea down here That's cool. <laughs> all right so uh, let's uh shift gears and uh, review a couple of conversations we had recently with jaguars coaches we uh, heard from press taylor on jaguars happy hour radio last week after this podcast aired on wednesday he showed up on thursday on jaguars happy hour and we got to ask him how it was with Trevor so far in the meeting rooms.
1: He's very mature. He asks, and a lot of times, you know, we haven't had a lot of football conversations, but he asks great questions. So that that's always one of the things that you know he's engaged. You know, you can kind of tell by the questions that a guy asks of kind of whether he likes it, where he's tracking, how he sees it. Um, and he he and really all the quarterbacks, Jake and C J, they've done a great job with the questions they ask, the response they're given, the engagement they're given. All right, so, so exciting.
0: They're now uh, – sorry to interrupt you, Press. So they're uh, about a week and a half into the phase one. That means officially talking X's and O's and getting the room, the conversation going the right way. When your quarterback's asking questions and uh, that kind of leads you into different things, Bucky, it feels like. Yeah, no, it does lead you into different things because you want your quarterback
3: to be engaged. You want your quarterback to um, have a desire to have a mastery of the system because the more he masters the system, Uh, the better it is because now he can play on instincts and awareness. He also can make sure that everyone is on the same page. But before he can take kind of like that leadership and ownership responsibility, he has to kind of know what's going on. And I think it's really important that Trevor is asking questions so he can kind of understand the system like the back of his hand.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's – we've said it before. We talked about it on uh, Jaguars Drive Time yesterday. He's got everything you want. I don't know what it is about him that, that I could pick out that'll hold him back. If you follow me, um, we didn't see it enough last year, so I, I've got to chalk that up to the chaos around him. Uh, I, he's when he spoke. It's a couple weeks ago now that he spoke to the media. So impressive and. In, you can feel when he speaks what press taylor's talking about the total engagement the awareness of what it takes uh, the right questions his mind's in the right place uh it's it's just hard to imagine him not taking a huge step up for those reasons uh i i get that fans hear this and like well we've got to see it well and until september we've got nothing to talk about except this but the mental part of it, which I think is so important, he's got. And I think now that he's with Press Taylor, particularly Doug Peterson, Mike McCoy, who we'll talk about in a second, he now, I think, has the right environment to move those things in the right direction at a rapid pace without things getting in the way. If that doesn't help him mature—not and not even mature, its not the right word—develop— uh, then I don't know what will. I mean, it, it, it feels like the right group at the right time, the right head coach. We'll see. But uh, I'm not surprised to hear Press Taylor say that because that's what Trevor Lawrence is. And to me, that's what's going to give him a chance, even more than the physical ability. All the things we've seen that we all call intangibles are tangible, and it's what gives him a chance. I'm looking forward to the next seven, eight months uh, seeing it happen.
0: Let's hear again from Press Taylor, the offensive coordinator. You know, Press has been around the league for a long time in a number of different roles, quality control, a passing game coordinator, quarterbacks coach. He's finally an offensive coordinator, and he's got a couple of assistants. He's like like 29, finally? Yeah, I know. He's, what, (laughs) 33, right? Finally an offensive coordinator. Finally, he made it. Um, So after a long, scenic route – no, I'm kidding, of course (laughs) – no, but he's got obviously head coaches around him. Doug Peterson's done it. Mike McCoy's been in the NFL. He's the uh, quarterback's coach, but relating to the staff around him in many roles as he's had already in his coaching career.
1: I know how I liked being treated in each of those roles and, and, and what kind of input I could provide and things like that. So part of it's being clear in your communication with what your expectation is for everybody. And and then at the on top of that, with a lot of you know, former quarterbacks and guys that have coached quarterbacks or been coordinators in this league. A lot of it's everybody putting their ego aside and realizing we don't need to do what we all did in the past. This is about putting our guys in the best position to create the 2022 Jacksonville offense. That's what we're trying to do.
0: So it's, it's different when you're finally the O.C. Yes, he's not calling the plays on Sunday, but he's putting all this kind of together in one pot here, Bucky, and getting all these – all this input from different levels of the organization and and trying to figure that out for the first time as a true offensive coordinator. I'm I'm curious how this, uh, this learning process goes for press. It seems like it's gone so far in his his career pretty well.
3: It's gone pretty well so far in his career, but it's a huge learning curve. Like when you get up to the point where, um, you're coordinating, you're trying to manage not only people, but you're trying to figure out game situation plays, um, who do I want to get the ball to? How do I want to get the ball to them? What do they like? What's my quarterback like? That's a lot to manage. And I think there'd be some growing pains and I think it'll take maybe half of the season before he'll admit he's probably a little more comfortable because there's one thing to say like, Oh, I'm ready for it. It's another thing to have to do it and do it in game action and make adjustments and manage the people and do all this other stuff. But he has enough resources and, 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 and people around him to be good at it. And then, by the way, the head coach is pretty good play caller. So, you know, it makes it a lot easier when you have those buffers around because Mike McCoy has done it, Dick Peterson has done it. So you've got a lot of people that have been able to do or do this and organize it. And so he has a lot of people that he can kind of lean on.
2: It feels like we're sort of bumping up against the uh, too many cooks in the kitchen concept, but which is – I've gotten this question a lot from people because there's so many offensive coordinators and so many ex-offensive coordinators – I would worry about that, J.P. and Bucky, if Doug Peterson wasn't the guy. It feels to me like if he has compiled a staff of people that he's comfortable with and likes, football guys who, who sort of take his approach. Uh, talking to Mike McCoy last week, he didn't strike me as a guy. Mike McCoy's called plays. He's been the guy. You know, it. it it didn't strike me as a guy who's you know trying to figure out how much power he can get in this system. He feels like a guy who wants to, to contribute where he can and uh, what he's wanted. I think uh, Doug Peterson will be the key in bringing uh, Press Taylor along, having Jim Bob Cooter's uh, input be the correct input, having Mike McCoy's input be the correct input. Um, I understand people who have asked me that of, Boy, it's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. I, th- with Doug Peterson being the person who that information is being funneled to doesn't worry me much now that I've been around Doug a little bit. Good point.
3: Um, I, think, I think it's kind of the way of the world. Like right now, everything you're trying to do is insulate the quarterback, and so I think you want multiple layers around it. Now, the key to being effective and working, everyone has to speak the same language. And the quarterback has to get the same information in the same style from everybody. And so however you elect to do who is primarily communicating with the quarterback, like maybe you have to sift it, like kind of sort that all out, sift it out until he gets it. But the only way it can get messed up is if you have too many people saying different things, that's when it messes up. But if they're all coming from the same system, they all have a inherent knowledge of the offense They all kind of know what the objective is on every play and how to do it. It can be comforting because the other thing is an emotional game. Sometimes you want a layer or a buffer between the head coach and the quarterback, and you want someone who can take the quarterback off to the side and just kind of talk to him without the emotion. When I was in Green Bay, having watched Coach Holmgren do it with Brett Favre, Andy Reid would be the quarterback coach. And so before Coach Mike could get the Brett Favre, Andy was like, I got him and we take him off to the side and handle some of those conversations before it got contentious and maybe acrimonious. And so you just want to have enough layers that in the heat of the moment the quarterback doesn't get his feelings all bruised, he's able to take the information process it, and still perform without it having lingering effects with the relationship between he and the head man.
2: Doesn't it feel like uh Mike McCoy can be that guy pretty well too?
3: Yeah, I think that's I think he's the one and I think he's the underrated higher in all of this, because in Mike McCoy, you're getting the guy with unique experience. Not only has he played the position, he has been a quarterback coach, he's been a play caller, he's also been a head coach. Um, there's a natural relationship between Doug Peterson and Mike McCoy because we all were together in Green Bay at the same time. So there's a mutual respect. So if anybody understands exactly what Doug wants, Mike McCoy will understand it because they're going to speak the same language. And so, I think it's a huge benefit for Trevor to be able to kick his feet up in the office and talk to Coach McCoy and do all those other things, and then for them to communicate in games. I'm curious to see what it plays out, who is up in the box, who is on the field, how they do that on game day. All this stuff is essential. But, no, to me, I think the setup is perfect, and I think it's a little different than it was last year because I felt like last year you're kind of piecing it together. Good guys in Belleville and Brian Schottenheimer, but they're not really coming from the same
0: system, their cousins.
3: This, I feel like everybody's coming from the same thing, so the communication should be on point, and that's the most important part of it.
0: Let's hear from Mike McCoy, Jaguars quarterbacks coach, sat down with, yes, you guessed it, John Osier on the Ozone podcast earlier this week, available in the official Jaguars podcast network. McCoy's been out of the league for two or three years, hanging out with the family, doing the thing, but... Also looking around the NFL and still getting ideas on offense. Yeah,
3: and I think that's one thing when I look back the past couple of years to be able to really look um, at a number of teams and study sure. certain teams and follow you know certain coaches that I've worked with or that worked for me when they've moved on. Someone like Frank Reich, what did he do right. when he went to Indy? How did he kind of change or what additions did he make to our system that we had built over the time we're together. I think that's what kind of you. Do, every team does every year. You kind of look at it, okay, here's the foundation. This is who we want to be. And then you look at, okay, through free agency, through the draft, okay, do you still have that personnel to fit the mm-hmm. scheme you want to run? And then, you know, what type of players do you have? And what new wrinkles do you take from other places? Or mm-hmm. some things that, hey, you've always had in your system, but maybe you look at it from last year and say, God, we didn't run enough of this. So I think it's always evolving. You're always looking to say, okay, What is best for our team today?
0: Yeah, today is the most important thing, and and not 10 years ago. uh, We got to keep evolving. That's what Press also was talking about this week, Bucky, is you you might find a route concept here that works for a certain uh, player on your team, but you you may not change the whole offense, but a little tweak here, a little tweak there, and that's when your offense moves forward.
3: Yeah, no, it's funny because you have a base system, you have a framework um, that serves as the foundation, but then you have to tailor it around the players that you have. And so um, given the personnel, and, I, and I, I don't know if there's enough excitement that has been generated on the outside about the, the personnel that the Jaguars have, but I am, look, if this is fantasy football, and if I could give a nugget of advice, I would say go secure Evan Ingram in your, in your leagues, because I would expect Evan Ingram to put up monster numbers in this offense. If you go back and track what the tight ends have traditionally done in Doug Peterson's offense, they put up big numbers. And the wide receivers, they catch passes, but it's almost as secondary to what the tight end can do. I think what you're doing is you're trying to take a base system and fit it to the personnel. What do I have? Okay, now I have this person. What does he do really well? And make it work. And I would say that adaptability has been Doug Peterson's best trait as a play caller. How he adapted the offense from Carson Wentz to Nick Foles to Jalen Hurts, all of that is high-level stuff. And I think you do it with the others in mind, but it has to be something that's very comfortable for the quarterback. And so, yeah, that, that, there has to be a lot of that that you're figuring out in minicamp and in training camp, um, but it's exciting. And I think you have enough guys with the acumen, Mike McCoy included, to be able to pull it off.
2: I going to ask Bucky uh, about Evan Ingram here in a second, but uh, before we uh, lose our train on uh, Mike McCoy, probably the most interesting thing he said that applies to our conversation today to me was how much he's looking forward to he's been a coordinator he's been a head coach and he was out of it for 3 years uh but he talked a lot in the podcast about his time in carolina he's still very yeah. good and friends with uh Jake home who he had in carolina he is looking forward to just being in the quarterback's room It is a different experience to be in that room as compared to the offensive coordinator. talked about all the responsibilities you start getting when you're the offensive coordinator or the head coach. You don't develop quite the same relationships as you do in a position group. Uh, It just struck me that he is in the right position for him at this time. He's looking forward to getting to Trevor Lawrence, C.J. Beathard, the guys in that quarterback's room. Uh, So I think he will be the guy, as Bucky alluded to earlier, to pull Trevor aside, to have that relationship. Um, That's sort of what struck me the most about the podcast that we did.
3: And going back there, because um, Mike and I were together in Carolina during that time. And so I can speak on the impact that he had on Jake DeLone and the impact that he had on the offense. Dan Henning was the offensive coordinator. Dan Henning was very old school in how he wanted to go about running an offense. Um, John Fox was a defensive coach and, the main thing was secure the ball, wanted to run the football, and you wanted the quarterback to make a handful of plays. I will ball by all accounts, and I know Mike would never say this on record. Hey, man, Jake DeLone was, a bit of a roller coaster ride. But <laughs> their ability to manage him and put him in a situation where this guy played at a Pro Bowl level led us to a Super Bowl, Super Bowl 38, an improbable Super Bowl based on the personnel. The defense was great. The offense, SD Smith or whatever. But it wasn't what you would say a classic Super Bowl-level offense. But part of the reason they were able to do it is because they found a way to help the quarterback play at a high level. Some of that were the playmakers around them, but a lot of that was some of the sweet nothings that uh, Mike McCoy and those guys were whispering Jake DeLome's ear and how they built the offense and the passing game in particular around what Jake DeLome could do really well.
2: Why will Ingram work here when it didn't work out in New York? Yeah, well, the thing is,
3: in New York – it worked to a point, but look, it's a mess there. Like, it was a mess, and I don't necessarily know if the quarterback play was great. I can confidently say that I don't know if the play callers that were there rolling through when he was playing were ideal. Um, but he did go to a Pro Bowl there, and I know people make a lot about Pro Bowl, but he did play at a level where he put up some numbers a couple of years ago. It might have been the second season that was his best season when it came from a production standpoint. But what he is is kind of a jumbo slot receiver, someone who... You have to understand exactly what he is. If you're thinking he's going to put his face mask in the defensive end's chest and he's going to block him and maul him and do all that, that's not, that's not the role that he's going to play. He is a pass-catching tight end. He is someone that is a mismatch problem for the defense because you have to figure out who do I want to put on him. Do I want to put a linebacker? Do I want to put a safety or a nickel on him? If it's the, the smaller guy, he's going to post him up and he's going to beat him up because he has superior – physical traits in terms of size dimensions. If it's the linebacker, he's going to run past him. And so the easiest throw for the quarterback is over the middle field to a tight end. And so now what you're able to do is build the passing game inside out, Evan Ingram as the focal point, And then it goes to Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, then whoever else is out there, Marvin Jones or whatever. But the two guys that are most important will be Evan Ingram working the middle and then Christian Kirk working from the slot. He or Zay Jones, because I think they're interchangeable in terms of how they play. But this passing game would work over the middle of the field. And to take that back, go all the way back to how Trevor played at Clemson, RPOs, quick passes, a lot of that stuff, inside the numbers off some kind of fake play action, uh, faux fake, throw it, all that. So it all works together, but Evan Ingram should be the big beneficiary.
0: Love to hear that. This is the Huddle Up podcast. Bucky, when are you coming to Jacksonville next week? Because I think we're mm. switching some days. We've we got some programming changes next week. I think we're going to try to do the Huddle Up on Tuesday next week. Does that work with your travel oh, that schedule?
3: That works with the travel schedule because, you know, based on that fancy little party that you have, I'm going to see if I can be helicoptered in and just kind of dropped in the middle of the thing in midfield, like something very spectacular, you know? Like who has the little hel- helicopter in recruiting where they get on the little chop and they just drop down on the backside of Who Lady Gaga SLC SLC did it the Super Bowl.
0: <laughs> Bucky Gaga. Yeah. In from the Raptors. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah,
3: so I'm I'm taking I'm taking the red eye in. So I'm coming in Thursday morning. Uh I do Path to the Draft Wednesday night. Then I'm jumping on the plane and I'm coming right then. I'm be there for all the festivities and really looking forward to it. It should be
0: a lot of fun. Yeah, we're looking forward to having you here on our coverage uh, coming up uh, tomorrow. Jaguars happy hour. You know, we mentioned the 2003 Carolina Panthers that went to the Super Bowl. Brinson Buckner was part of that team. He will join us live in studio tomorrow, Bucky. He's going to be with me and Loggeman about 4.15 on 1010XLAM.
3: Okay, I got a thing for you, what you can do with Buck. Um, I think you have to challenge Loggeman to see if he and Brinson Buckner can do that big man dance-off because Brinson Buckner – was one of the first guys at NFL Network, and he was one of the guys who was an originator, a founding father of the big man dance-off. So maybe you can whisper that in Brinson Buck-Nazir, say, hey, man, I need to see you and Log, big man dance-off.
0: That, those might be the only words I get in the whole interview. Exactly,
3: with <laughs> oh, he's a little loquacious. <laughs> a little
2: he bit, likes to talk a little bit now. He's, he's going he's to do it just I love a little it.
0: bit. Looking forward to talking <laughs> defensive line with him uh, tomorrow. John, what do you got coming up?
2: I. Uh, from here until about next Wednesday, uh, Jaguars.com, it's it's uh, pretty much Bucky Brooks all the time in terms of our draft coverage. Uh, Bucky and I. Killing uh, it. Killing it. I did an eight part series, but I'll give it up to Bucky. It's mostly his insight, and I, it's good stuff. I, I recommend uh, reading it. It started Monday, and it'll go through next Wednesday.
0: Looking forward to that, as always. And then Path to the Draft continues. NFL Network, Buck.
2: Yeah, man, we're just over here talking, just, you know, spinning,
3: spinning, spinning, watch, repeat, just just, just doing doing what we do. It should be a lot of fun, though. I'm excited. I'm excited to see who that number one pick is going to be, but I'm more excited to see who's going to be the first pick of the second round because that's the money, man. That's the money. I like it. We've
0: uh, a little over a week to figure it out. Bucky, we'll uh, talk to you next time. Uh, John Osier. Joe Fortunato, Dave DeCandis, our entire crew, I'm J.P. Shadrick. We'll catch you next time on the Huddle Up Podcast.